Hi, welcome to Pitt Town Church. We are so glad that you're listening to this podcast. We pray that this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus. If you would like more information, check out our website at www.pitttownchurch.com. Our Bible reading this morning comes from Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 to 26. And I'll give you a moment to look that up in your Bible or on your device. And the words will also be coming up on the screen in front of you. Genesis chapter 4. Adam was intimate with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I've had a male child with the Lord's help. Then she also gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked the ground. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious and he looked despondent. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you furious and why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out into the field. And while they're in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's guardian? Then he said, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed, alienated from the ground that opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood you have shed. If you work the ground, it will never again give you its yield. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. But Cain answered the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear since you are banishing me today from the soil and I must hide myself in your presence and become a restless wanderer on the earth. Whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord replied to him, In that case, whoever kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over and he placed a mark on Cain so that whoever found him would not kill him. Then Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain was intimate with his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch. Then Cain became the builder of a city, and he named the city Enoch after his son. Irad was born to Enoch. Irad fathered Mahajul. Mahajul fathered Methashel, and Methashel fathered Lamech. Lamech took two wives for himself, one named Adah and the other named Zillah. Adah bore Jabal, and he was the father of the nomadic herdsman. His brother, named Jubal, was the father of all who played the lyre and the flute. Zillah bore Tubal Cain, who made all kinds of bronze and iron tools. Tubal Cain's sister was Nama. Lamech said to his wives, 
Adah and Zillah, hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, pay attention to my words, for I killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain is to be avenged seven times over, then for Lamech it will be 77 times. Adam was intimate with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has given me another child in place of Abel, since Cain killed him. A son was born to Seth also, and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of Yahweh. Our second Bible reading comes from 1 John, chapter 3, verses 10 to 20. This is how God's children and the devil's children are made evident. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God especially the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Unlike Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, but closes his eyes to need, how can God's love reside in him? Little children, we must not love with word or speech, but with truth and action. This is how we will know we belong to the truth and will convince our conscience in his presence, even if our conscience condemns us that God is greater than our conscience and he knows all things. Hey everyone, welcome to Church Online again. I'm Craig, I'm one of the ministers here at Pitt Town and it's good to have you tuning in with us. We are continuing in our sermon series in the book of Genesis. We're about to jump in here to chapter four. So this might be a good time if you haven't already to go and grab your Bible or your tablet or something that you might wanna take notes on or something before we jump in. Let me, uh, let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we again thank you for who you are and we thank you that you are always good to us. And Father, we do pray in this COVID season that you would help us to be continuing to trust in you. Father, we pray for those who don't yet know you, that they might come to know you. And Father, we pray that you would strengthen us and we pray that you would do that through your word. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, let's recap uh, our journey so far. 
uh, we saw that God made the world with order and the creation was a palace temple and Adam and Eve were royal priests. And we saw that in chapter 3, two weeks ago, they rebel and they make their own rules, which means that they then unfortunately destroy the harmony that existed in the palace temple created order. And now there is conflict between us and God, between us and us, and between us and the earth. And so Adam and Eve are then driven out of the garden. And the mandate, the blessing that God had for them, that they would fill the earth and subdue it, still exists, but there's now some challenge. Now the fill the earth will be through anguish and anxiety and difficulty, and subduing the earth will be the same. It's still there, but there's an element of anguish in it. So then, what happens now? Now that we're now out of the garden and Adam and Eve have fallen and things are beginning to fall apart, well, now we come to the story of Cain and Abel, which is an absolutely profoundly written story. It's hard to describe just how intricate the story is, but let's jump in and see what we can see. Chapter 4, verse 1, Adam was intimate with his wife. I think we all know what that means. And she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. So this intro here, this is, there's, there's optimism because last we saw, chapter 3, there was going to be pain and anguish and anxiety, death and chaos. We're going to come into this whole conceiving, birthing process. But here, Eve has been able to have a child. So it's like, hooray, now what? Well, things are about to fall apart and it's going to happen quick. So she names him Cain and then she's also able to give birth to his brother, Abel. Now, Abel was a shepherd of the flocks, but Cain, we're told, worked the ground. This, is, this was Adam's job to work the ground. And here we see Cain is taking on that Adam role. Then we're told in verse 3, in the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord, and then Abel also presented an offering. And we're told that the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. So why is it that the Lord has regard for one, but not for the other? Well, the clue is that Cain presented some of the land's produce and Abel offered some of the firstborn of his flock. So Abel has offered, it seems, the best, the first bit, the most important part, whereas Cain hasn't. He's offered just some of the land's produce. So that's a clue that maybe that's what's happening, but it is hard to tell and it's almost not even the point. For whatever reason, some reason, 
the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering and not regard for Cain and his. Now, what's Cain's response? Well, he was furious. And this is a telling reaction. He doesn't respond with humility. He doesn't respond with questioning, you know, what could I have done? What was it that displeased you? How could I make a different play next time? Nothing like that. He responds with fury, which kind of shows us that his response is tinged or at least seems to be coming from arrogance and maybe even a sense of entitlement. So he replies, then the Lord said to Cain, why are you furious? Right? This is not the appropriate reaction. Why do you look despondent? If you do right, won't you be accepted? The idea here is this is, this is not over. It's not as though God has rejected Cain. He has just had no regard for Cain and his offering. And the point here is this could change. You know, Cain could repent of whatever it was and, and move forward. What will he do now? And then the warning is, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. And we saw this a couple of weeks ago, its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. The idea here is sin is is like a like a wild animal, and it's it's crouching, ready to pounce on its prey. You know, like it's it's going to devour Cain. And so then, what does what's Cain going to do? Well, verse eight, Cain said to his brother Abel, "Let's go out." to the field, and while they're in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Notice this, his brother Abel, his brother Abel, his brother Abel. This is how Abel is always described, like underlining how close they are supposed to be. And then we just have this real brief and sharp, he killed him. This is very reminiscent, you might remember, of Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, where Eve took the fruit and ate it, gave it to Adam. He ate it, real sharp, real short, real brief, and he killed him. And this here too, he lets go out to the field, you know, he lured him out. This was premeditated. This was planned. And this is sad. How quickly things have fallen apart. And so then, the Lord then said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? And again, this reminds us, it's supposed to remind us of Genesis chapter 3 verse 9, when after Adam and Eve had eaten the fruit, God is then walking in the, in the garden and he's, where are you? And he calls out to them. Same thing. The idea here is it's, we're meant to be feeling like this is very Genesis chapter three. It's supposed to almost rhyme with what had happened before. It's like it's, we're seeing the same song being played, but rather than it being eating the fruit, it's now he killed someone. And so it's like the same song, but it's almost in a higher key. So it's like the seeds had been planted back in Genesis chapter three, and this is now downstream 
of what had happened, conflict between us and us, conflict between us and God. Where are you? He says. And then here, where is your brother? And then Cain replies, I don't know. And again, remember back in Genesis 3, when God confronts Adam, Adam admitted it. The woman gave me the fruit and I ate it. Whereas here, Cain does not, lies and says, I don't know, but for sure he knows. He replied, am I my brother's guardian? This is that word we looked at last week, Shema. This is the... This is what Adam was supposed to be. This is what the cherubim was. Am I my brother's guardian? And Cain thinks the answer is no, but we know the answer is actually yeah. So then verse 10, God said to him, what have you done? Again, Genesis 3 verse 13. God says the same thing to Eve. What have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Up until this point, brother Abel hasn't said anything, right? He's been silent for this whole story. And now he cries out, his blood begins to speak. So verse 11, you are now cursed Back in chapter three, Adam and Eve were not cursed. You might remember the ground was cursed and the snake was cursed. And here Cain is cursed. It's, it's like Cain w- was on the snake's team. You know, the snake was this agent of evil and chaos and the snake's seed was going to strike the woman's seed, and then the woman's seed would then strike the snake. Here, the snake's seed has struck the woman's offspring, but the one who did the striking was another human. And so it's, it's Cain is on team snake and is doing this work of evil and chaos and is the one who struck So it's very ironic and it's meant to be very sad. So he is cursed from the ground that opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood. That's a really uh, visceral image that the ground opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood. It's quite striking. Verse 12, so if you work the ground, it will never again give you its yield right? No, no more farming. Now the conflict between us and the earth is, has now intensified even more. So you will be a restless wanderer. And so then Cain answered the Lord, my punishment is too great. Since you are banishing me, this is that same word from back in Genesis 324, when God drove Adam and Eve out of the garden, here he is driven, banished from the soil. I must hide myself. Again, this is very Genesis chapter three, from your presence and I will become a restless wanderer on the earth. Whoever finds me will kill me. 
And so there's there's just two thoughts here. The first one is it's it's ironic and a bit disingenuous that now Cain is so concerned about how killing is such a bad thing. Before, when he killed Abel, no problem. But now it's like, oh, people will kill me and killing's so bad. So that's just like an ironic picture. And it, and it signals to us that Cain is not remorseful. But also it's odd, it's, it, it's mysterious, whoever finds me. This is Cain. There's Adam and Eve and there's Cain. So who is Cain afraid of? Who are these people who might find him and kill him? Is it like mum and dad might kill me? So it could be that that's what he's on about. It could be that there are mysteriously other people around that we haven't heard from yet, maybe. Or it could be, as we'll see in chapter 5, verse 8, Cain is going to live until he's 912 years old. That's a long time for more people to come in the future. So maybe he's referring to that. But whatever it is, he's scared that someone's going to kill him and killing's now for him such a bad thing. So you see an, a, a distinction between the way that Adam and Eve responded when they were caught in their sin. They responded with shame and with remorse. But here, Cain's response is remorseless. There's self-pity, like now he's the victim, and there's resentment. The way that Cain has replied is not you know, my punishment is too great and I am remorseful. It is, he's, he's pointing the finger that God is being unfair, unjust, and he's resentful of it. So it's all, everything is falling apart incredibly quickly. And so then, verse 15, the Lord then replied, in that case, whoever kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. This is not that you know, if someone killed Cain, then God would kill seven of their family or something. This is in in the Hebrew mind, seven is the number for completeness. And so this is that whoever kills Cain will not get away with it. There will be complete and full justice. And then he placed a mark on Cain that whoever found him wouldn't kill him. And so Cain went out from the Lord's presence, and then he lived in the land of Nod. Nod is the word for wandering. So there's this kind of irony that he's going to settle in the land of wandering east of Eden. We talked about this last week. You might remember from way back, Eden was this area and the garden was in Eden. And Adam and Eve have been driven out of the garden and here Cain is now driven out of Eden. And we talked about this last time. The more east you go, the further away you are from the Lord's presence. So we have this little moment where God is the protector for Cain that he is now treating him, I guess, with grace. And it feels a bit weird to think this is the murderer and God is now protecting him. 
But we see this same kind of thing back when Adam and Eve ate the fruit and then God made them clothing out of animal skins with that moment of compassion and a moment of grace. Same thing here. God is now protecting Cain. He has punished him. There are consequences, but it's not over the top. God has not flown off the handle. God's not like furious, can't control himself. God has punished him and it's not light but he's also going to protect him and treat him with grace and compassion. And so you might remember here we've got Eden, they're driven out. Eden was a mountain. And so now they have been exiled from the garden and now exiled from Eden and Cain is now in the land of Nod. And so it's like the seeds of disorder and disunity and disharmony that were sown by Adam and Eve have already fully flowered into murder and there's no remorse and it, it was quick. You know, things have drastically fallen apart. And so then we're then told Cain was intimate with his wife. She conceived, gave birth to Enoch. Cain became the builder of a city and he named the city Enoch after his son. This little moment here is like a mini Tower of Babel moment. In chapter 11, we'll come to that and we'll see the Tower of Babel and all that happens there. But a city in this ancient Mesopotamian region, a city everyone knew was basically built around a ziggurat, which is one of these kind of leveled pyramid things, like a tower, and the city was around it. And so Cain becomes a builder of a city, ziggurat, tower, and named it after his son, a mini Babel moment, but we'll come to that. And then he, he has this little miniature genealogy and it, it climaxes with Lamech, number seven. So Cain is number two, Adam and Eve, and then Cain, Enoch's three, Irad is four, Mehejuel is five, Methushael is six, and then Lamech is seven. Lamech took two wives, which... We know from Genesis chapter 2 is not the idea. It's one man and one wife. And then Lamech has this idea. He's going to change it, a bit of disorder. And Lamech is the one who kind of invented polygamous multiple wives. And he's not a real role model for who we want to follow. Lamech, two wives. His, one of his sons was the father of the nomadic herdsmen. Another was the father of all who play the lyre and flute. And another is the one who made all kinds of bronze and iron tools. This moment here is you've got technology, you've got culture, you've got, you know, society being constructed. We've got, we've got herdsmen, like this is farming, not just shepherding, but full-on farming music's happening, we're making tools and technology and it's mixed because this technology culture society is being invented by the house of murder. And so it's good. These are good things, but they're tainted. And even we know that 
now. Tech, culture, society, music, all these things, they're good, but they're still tainted as well. And so we see that mixture here too. And then we have this poem that Lamech has spent time writing and he says it to his wives. I killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. You get this idea on a scale of one to psycho, here's someone wounds him and so Lamech replies and responds by killing him. Like what a psycho. And we see here Lamech calls evil good. And we get this moment of like peak chaos, right? The world is falling apart. Evil is now good. And this is the fruit from the tree when Adam and Eve sought to be the ones themselves who determined what was good and what was evil. Now, here we have the full fruit of that. And here's Lamech who has determined that evil is good and the whole thing is collapsing and falling apart. And then we have, you know, if Cain is avenged seven times, Lamech, it'll be 77 times. This is just, there's no remorse. This is 100% pride. And the whole thing is beginning to unravel at a fast pace. And then finally, we're just to remind ourselves, Adam was intimate with his wife again. She gave birth to a son, named him Seth. God has given me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. This is just to remind us where we've come from. And then there's this little kind of glimmer of hope. At that time, people began to call on the name of Yahweh. Here's hope. And so this, what had been once a multiplying of blessing where they would be fruitful and they would multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, what's happening is blessing is not what's being multiplied. What's being multiplied is disorder and dysfunction and it's all going bad. Everything is getting worse. And that's the end of chapter four, which brings us to chapter five, which we'll go a bit quicker through because it's in, in one sense, it's because it's a genealogy. And we all know genealogies are a bit boring and hard to read. But what we also know is that genealogies are packed with meaning and are extremely important. They're just boring for us to read. It's important to know that genealogies are not family trees. It's they're a different kind of thing to that. And what this genealogy is going to show us and remind us of, I mean, there's a lot happening. I just want to point out a few things. So it opens here with this, almost a recap of Genesis chapters one to three, where God created man in his likeness, male and female, blessed them and called them man. And then we get to Adam. And here's the thing I want to just to, I want us to see. So Adam's life lasted 930 years. And then Seth lasted 912 years. Enosh lasted 905 years. Kenan 
lasted 910. Mahalalel lasted 895. Jared lasted 962. Enoch lasted 365 years. And then we're told, mysteriously, Enoch walked with God, just like Adam and Eve used to walk with God in the garden. And then he was not there because God took him. It's a bit of a mystery as to what all this means, but Enoch is number seven in the list. But then we're told Methuselah lasted 969. Lamech, a different Lamech, he gave birth to Noah, who we'll see next week, but Lamech lasted 777 years. And you just think, these are big years. These are like massive amounts of time that people are alive for. Now, it's just important just to get a bit of context. There's a thing that was found called the Sumerian King List, which was just exactly what it sounds like. It's a list of kings from the Sumerian ancient empire. And they list some of their kings and how long they lived for. And they have numbers like 72,000 years, 43,200 years, 18,600 years, like massive numbers, way bigger than, you know, 930 or 912 or 905, way bigger than that. And so, I mean, I think these biblical years, I think they're real. I think these people did live that long. I don't quite know how or or what it was like, but I do think this is real, especially when you compare them to some of these crazy Sumerian king list numbers. Now, here's a little just nerdy moment that probably no one's going to care about. These numbers, these Sumerians and the ancient Babylonians as well, actually, we know we use base 10 as the way that we count, you know, 10, 20, 21, 22, 100 cents in a dollar, 1,000 kilometers, 1,000 meters in a kilometer, you know, we're base 10. The Sumerians and the Babylonians and other ancient peoples, they have a sexagesimal system, which sounds kind of dirty, you know, like Adam was intimate with his wife, but it, it, it's not about that. It's it's a mix of base 10 and base 6, this kind of sexagesimal system. And we use this too because, you know, we have AM, PM, 12 hours, 12 hours, base 6. We've got 12 months in the year. We've got 60 seconds in a minute, 60 minutes in an hour. We use this sexagesimal system too. And the Sumerians did. And maybe that accounts for why their numbers are so weird. Not sure. That's just a little kind of side point that I'm sure no one cares about. But here's, here's the thing to see in all of these massive numbers. Here's the point. So Adam lasted 930 years, and that's a long time, and then he died. And then Seth, 912, then he died. 905, died. 910, died. Eight. 95 died, 962 died. 
he died, he died. The idea here is death reigns. No matter how long these people live for, and it's a, it's a long time, in the end, death wins. And as I think about these chapters, one of the things I'm struck by is how profound and explanatory they are. There are some who say that humans are basically all totally evil, but that's not quite right because it's, you know, it's, it's not that simple. All of us are made in God's image and so we are valuable and we have dignity. And there have been times when people have said, these people are valuable and these people, because of their race or their ethnicity or their orientation or their mental capacity or whatever kind of metric, these people are less valuable or not valuable. And the Bible just does not let us anywhere near that kind of view because we're each individually, each one of us made in God's image, which means that we are infinitely valuable and we are made with dignity and we are eligible for love. But then equally, there are those who would say, we're all, every individual is totally good which people say and think that contrary to all the evidence. I mean, globally and in our own lives, there's so much evidence everywhere. Conflict is everywhere. And maybe especially it's evident within our own lives and within our own families. And so these chapters I think are so powerful because we're made in his image. And so that's still true, but it's warped and it's cracked. And we're both at the same time, really, really good and full of value and nobility and generosity. And at the same time, we're also really, really bad and full of such evil and malice and envy and pettiness and cowardice. And the effects of Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve's fall, continue to ripple down history across the world and throughout every corner of our lives as individuals. And the same haunting refrain that echoes through Genesis chapter 5 reaches into each one of our own lives and erases potential and erodes joy and destroys hope because each one of our lives into it comes these words, then they died. But we saw last week, Revelation chapter 21, there will come a time, there's that promise that there will be a time when there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And the reason why is because of one guy, Jesus, who carried all the effects of sin culminating in the judgment, the punishment that each one of us has deserved and earned. And then just like Genesis chapter five, that refrain reached into his life too, and he died. But unlike Genesis chapter five, on Easter Sunday, the tomb was empty and he rose again and death was conquered And what started with one will again ripple out to all of those who 
belong to him. And the way that you belong to him isn't by somehow being born in his lineage, but it's by being adopted in through putting your trust in him. And so this reign of death is coming to an end and it has the, the blow has been struck in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for Jesus and for his resurrection and that the reign of death is coming to an end. And Father, we thank you for him and we pray for each one of us that you would help us as we navigate this world and this life where death still rules. Father, help us to put our trust in the Lord Jesus. And we look forward to that time where we will live again through him. And we pray this in his name. Amen.